The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. This program is all about helping people to more meaningfully and productively connect with their work, and it's an extension of the meeting and work research I've been engaged in over the last 15 years. It's also a complement to the work I do in organizational transformation and breakthroughs through Insignium, which is a management consulting organization. Before I get to the program, let me thank my my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, they are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thanks, Jobbing.com. For this week's conversation with me is Mark Phillips, who has been swirling about in his work and career in a way that makes it really hard to introduce him, but I'll give it my best shot. We can maybe describe him best as a lifetime serial entrepreneur who began creating his own businesses literally at the age of 10 and hasn't stopped since. A couple of his current ventures are wine tasting, or the wine swallower, excuse me, and noodle consulting services. We'll be talking about his early entrepreneurial ventures, how he happened into trying wine after selling one of his companies only to make it get another business, and some of his other ventures, including Palcohol, which is literally powdered alcohol. He joins us today from Scottsdale, Arizona. Mark, great to have you with me. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is going to be great gobs of fun. I do think it probably makes sense for me to tell our listeners just how we met. I think it's really fun, so I'll say that really quick. Um, I was I happened to be sitting by myself in Whole Foods in Dallas, where I live, and Mark was passing through um, from Scottsdale. He was here to visit some family, and I was in in Whole Foods having a glass of wine with my with my daughter. And Mark had purchased a couple um, glasses of Prosecco for his sisters that were with him, and they didn't want it. So he sees me having a glass of wine and figures he could pawn it off on me, and we began a lovely conversation. So when he gave me his business card and I looked at all the things he was up to, I knew we had him on the show. So thanks for being gay, Mark. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Well, i got a million questions for you, so you got to talk fast. Um, I am very intrigued with this whole long life that you've had as an entrepreneur. This has been going on since you were 10 years old, and I want to understand a little bit about how you first got started. That that story of when you were 10 years old, that first business, maybe we could start there. Yeah, I, I, have a, I can share a few different things that I've done before I was 30 years old, and I think the interesting question, too, is what's entrepreneurial? What counts oh. as being entrepreneurial versus just having a business? So. At 10 years old, I was outside. Mr. Brown, my neighbor, is walking outside, putting the TV down on the curb for the garbage collector. And I said, Mr. Brown, what's the deal? He says, I, I, it's busted. And I asked him if I could have it. He says, sure, you know, maybe I can fix it. I said, well, go to it, Mark. So I went in, and uh, I fiddled with it. Of course, I couldn't fix it, but I had a paper route at the time. And I knew on my paper route there was a TV repair place. So I stopped in the store the TV repair place, and said, what does it cost to fix a TV? Ten bucks, he told me. So I went, over, went back home, went over to Mr. Brown's house, knocked on his door, I said, Mr. Brown, uh, if I fix your TV uh, for 20 bucks, do you have a deal? And he said, yeah, it should be great. That was it. I took the TV to the TV repair, repair place, paid $10, went back to Mr. Brown, and got $20. He was so excited by that, intrigued that 10-year-old kid could fix his TV, he started telling the neighbors 
<laughs> so when they had TV problems, you know, I got their business, and then I put up flyers around the neighborhood. Of course, everyone wants to support a 10-year-old. And I had a booming business in TV repair, just doing nothing except transporting the TV to and from the TV repair shop. And, uh, yeah, and that got me going. And I thought, this is the way to go for really doing nothing. Okay, so what is it then, Mark? What is entrepreneurship? Is it just being able to see an opportunity in the marketplace nobody else sees and finding a way to serve it? What is it? Well, that, that is one definition, kind of uh, identifying a need and filling it. But then some things like the pet rock. What <laughs> right. need was I that, remember that. Really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are things that are created that they create the market for it. There was really no market for it. There wasn't a need, but they did something and got and it became popular. I mean, the pet rock situation. You know, the story behind that. They, this guy, about thirty-nine years old, was sitting at a bar with his buddies, and his buddies were complaining about their pets. And Gary, the creator, said, "I got a great pet for you, a rock." And so he started selling a rock, and of course, the real gimmick there was the little book that came along with it that was very clever. Uh, Gary was a copywriter, uh, advertising guy, and he made some really funny things about what you can do with your pet rock, how to walk it, you know, and train it and stuff like that, funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, uh, so that was not filling a need, per se. It was just creating something that caught on. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I think I did own one of those at one point, Mark. Are you gonna hold that? Are you gonna hold that against me? No, that's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you you have one of the things that I was intrigued about when I met you, and certainly looking at your all your various websites, is you, you certainly do have a unique way of navigating life, and including what is amazing to me. If I have this right, I think you told me that you got paid to go to college. Is that right? And if so, how did you pull it off? Yeah, I mean, there's a a bunch of things that happened. Uh, When I went to high school, this is going to be kind of a little off for the listeners, but I think it's kind of interesting. I went to high school, and um, as a freshman, I was not a drug user. I was an athlete. I was a student body president. I first chair in the band. I was generally a good kid, but I saw the drug dealers were not were scattered and non-professional. I mean, come on, high school drug dealers. So I actually started selling drugs to take over the drug dealing uh, in high school, even though I was not a drug user. It was kind of weird. I know it's not good to do something illegal, and that was, so that is uh, not good. But it was an entrepreneurial thing to see that they were not filling the need correctly and I could do a better job. I made a fair amount of money doing that that paid for my first two years in college, but then I was running out of money. I thought, how can I get paid to go to school or at least have my college paid for? And I realized the money to get for college is received by academic scholarships. That's where the big money is to help you through college. So I was an electrical engineer major at the time, and I was struggling with that for my grades. And so I thought, I just need a really easy major so I can get all this money available. So I changed my major to elementary education. I figured the easiest major possible. And then applied for the scholarships. I got a 4.0 because of the easy major, grade point average. And I got a ton of money, and I made $3,000 a semester above and beyond my tuition and books just because I had had high grade point average. So... Uh, that worked out really well. Again, trying to identify or, uh, you know, a way to solve a problem. And that one worked out really well. That is amazing and remarkable, Mark. Now, I got to ask, because I love it. I love languages. Where is your accent from? Is it East Coast? What is that? Accent? I have no accent. Because yeah, I'm well, neither do Chicago, I. And the Midwest, we don't have any accent because that is the English language in America. <laughs> so you're not going to tell us where, where the accent's from. It's the Midwest? That's where it's from? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be from born and raised in Chicago, and that's kind of what it would be. Wow. I, I normally yeah. am really good at picking that out, but I, that I, couldn't, I couldn't isolate it. Um, so what happened after college? What did you do after college? Well, after college, then I, uh, I continued on in graduate school to exercise physiology. I got involved in health and nutrition, or at least an interest in nutrition. I saw a job available in a hospital in town for a nutritionist. 
And so I thought, this would be great to complement my studies in exercise physiology. So I went to the, apply for the job, and the, in the interview, the uh, woman said, uh, when did you get your degree in nutrition? I said, I don't have one in nutrition. I mean, come on, how hard can this be? Oh, she said, you have to know all the foods that patients can and cannot have with regards to their conditions and the different diets they're on. I said, well, that can't be that hard. I said, listen, let me go home, come back tomorrow, give me a test, and if I pass, can I have the job? She goes, absolutely. So I ran home, got a nutrition textbook, read it that night, came back, ate the test, and got the job. Um, <laughs> so it's all these kind of things that never say no, never give up. I think the one key thing for any entrepreneur or business person is determination. And uh, that's a good story. But then eventually I did other things and uh, then started a company. Uh, I was selling office supplies, uh, outside sales and office supplies. Got tired of that. Wilked my buddy Dave, who was selling with me, into starting our own company. We were tired of working for idiots. You know, the bosses never knew enough. And so we started, uh, we were sitting around thinking, what can we do? What do we know how to do? And it's not that much. But Dave's <laughs> girlfriend had just called, just called for a limousine for her boss. She was an executive secretary, and she was telling Dave the night before that all the limousine companies were not very professional. They just didn't understand how to talk to it in a corporate environment. And I said, Dave, that's it. We know customer service. How hard can it be to run a limousine company? It's just a car and people. And so Dave reluctantly agreed to go in business with me, and we started a limousine company, and it just took off uh, because we understood customer service. And we outserviced the current companies, and uh, it grew to be a a big operation. So, how long did you run it? So, I, I started that in nineteen eighty six, and then I moved from Dallas, where it was based, to DC to take it nationwide. Because we had many clients out in uh, the DC area, and once I got out there. I just kind of lost interest in it because I was managing a company now. It just wasn't that same entrepreneurial, creative track. It was more management, and that's not my strong suit. So in 1990, I sold it just because I wasn't having fun anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, but You're a builder, yeah, that of, makes sense. That's right. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneurial guy, ideas guy, problem solver, and now we were just cruising a good cruising, but that's not what I'm interested in. Okay, so, I mean, was how bad was this, Mark? So, so for you to sell your business that you created, I mean, was this awful? Were you in a terrible state? Oh, no. Oh, it's like a ball and chain. I mean, anyone who's in a job they don't like, whether they're the owner or not, to get out from under that is a, a very liberating experience. So, no, I, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I I'm, was happy for the success, but... When anything is not right, whether it's a relationship, a job, anything, you want out. And so uh, I got out, but basically I kind of retired at 32 years old. I mean, I made enough money. I really didn't have to work again. Of course, that's not my style because my brain's always racing with ideas. And in the um, celebratory dinner, the day after I sold it, I sold it to Dave, my partner. Mm. So I was back in Dallas and... uh, had a dinner and had wine for my first time at that dinner. I was always a beer drinker before that. And that wine changed my life. And that became the next chapter in my life, getting involved with wine because of that dinner. Well, and I want to talk more about that when we get into the next segment because I really want to dive into that. But before we get into that, Mark, I really want to understand because one of the things that you said to me is that when you sold that business, it totally set your mind free and let and set you on a path to be much more creative and to enjoy your work. So I want I want to understand, and I think the listeners will want to understand too. What do you mean by that, and how did it set your mind free? Well. I always wonder how many entrepreneurs are out there that never have a chance to be an entrepreneur because they're so bogged down in their life, their obligations, their commitments. They have kids. They have a mortgage, whatever. I was fortunate then because I had money and I had nothing to do. I had all I had the freedom to do anything. So that, I think, was a big deal. I mean, that, that's where money does kind of, quote, unquote, buy you freedom. And I was available to think, wonder, and let my entrepreneurial mind just 
be free and come up with whatever I wanted to do. And that, that's the big thing right there. Okay, so the difference, though, to me, Mark, when you talk about that, is why weren't you just hanging out in the golf course and just having fun? Why didn't you just do that? Well, if you've ever retired before, uh, you know, no one, it gets boring. Uh, I watched my father retire. He was a golfer and a tennis player, but you only can do that so many hours a day or a week, and you just get tired of it. So, uh, to me, uh, nothing is more stimulating than coming up with business ideas solving problems, creating things. And so that's what I do in my free time. I mean, so I can't imagine ever retiring per se because the more minutes or hours I can spend today coming up with solutions or ideas, the happier I am. Mm-hmm. Well, that was another reason I wanted to have you on the show, Mark, because I, you're obviously a very energetic man. You've done a million things already in your short life. I wonder if you have a perspective about how we can maybe better cultivate this mindset of entrepreneurship or the way that you go about solving problems and being creative in society. Do you have a perspective about that? Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I don't... That is a kind of the key thing is in entrepreneurial schools, what are they teaching? What, what makes an entrepreneur? And, you know, again, you have to kind of define what an entrepreneur is first. If it's just, if someone buys a Subway franchise or a Supercuts franchise, are they an entrepreneur? Technically they are. They're undertaking a business. That's a pretty broad definition of entrepreneurship versus someone who creates Facebook or Airbnb or Uber, something more creative. Um, but those are both entrepreneurs. So I think that it's, but the, the one thing that's common among all of them is taking on risk. Mm-hmm. You are now the responsible person for that, not an employer. And so I guess to be able to take more risks in life would, is necessary to be an entrepreneur. The trouble with that is you have commitments, kids to raise, a house mm-hmm. to pay off, cars to pay off. You, you don't have a chance to take as many risks financially. So if you have an entrepreneurial bent, you have to do it without sacrificing those responsibilities. It's still very possible, uh, but you have to be more, you're limited more so that way. Okay, well, I want to talk maybe a bit more about that as we go through the show, but it is time for our first break. Believe it or not, it flies by. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Mark Phillips, who is a lifetime serial entrepreneur, who today is the owner of Wine Swallower and Noodle Consulting Services, among other things. He is the author of Swallow This and also Ice Cubes and Wine, has created his, created and sold his own wine glass, and enjoyed hosting a long-running TV show about wine. We've been talking about a bit about how he developed his own career in the various ventures he's been in. After the break we're going to talk about his wine business that he mentioned earlier stay with us it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Mark Phillips, who is a lifetime serial entrepreneur who today runs winetasting.org, among many other ventures. Among his wine offerings, he also developed a alcohol offering, which is powdered alcohol. He's also writing a book called You Deserve to be Divorced, along with other a few other ventures. He joins us today from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we were talking a bit about how he really developed his early career and developed a business which he sold, which allowed him to retire at age 32. And now I really want to hear about that wine business, Mark. That was my initial interest in you when you told me that you worked in wine. I, well, I, was, all, I was all ears. Um, so you That's started, right. <laughs> you tell well, us the story. As I mentioned the first segment, yeah, I was uh, having uh, dinner at the mansion of Turtle Creek in Dallas to celebrate the sale of my company and had wine for the first time. And it was so good. And the story takes a long time to say. It's a funny story, but we really don't have time for the whole story. But because the wine was so good, it just, I was so interested in wine. And I flew back to D.C. the next day where I was currently living and looked for a wine group to join. And there really was none. There were uh, a few that would meet infrequently or there were really old people that were in there and they weren't any fun. So I thought, I'll start a wine group, knowing nothing about wine. I didn't even know what Chardonnay was. I knew nothing about wine. But thought, hey, there's a need that's not being filled of people my age who want to learn about wine. There's no group to do that. So I thought it would fly. And it did. It became the largest wine group in the country. And, of course, then as I put on wine-tasting classes, dinners, winemaker dinners, embassy events, because we were in D.C. with these wonderful embassies that were there featuring the wines from their country. Um, I learned about wine. I read all the books. I flew to Europe right away because I had the money to do that. And I, So after a while, I started speaking on wine. And um, I was giving a wine talk, and a PBS executive was in the audience and after my talk, she came up to me and says, oh, my God, Mark, we need you on PBS. All the people that have been on PBS talking about wine were snobby. You're not. How about it? I said, sure. And so that was back in 2004. And um, my show, which was a special on wine, a 90-minute special that aired on PBS. And uh, that began airing in 2006. <clears throat> And it uh, did very well. It became the most watched wine show ever, and it aired on PBS for six years. So uh, over what period, Mark? Is this like a, a monthly show, or was this a segment, or well, how did it... So it's weird, because it was uh, for fundraising. So it was aired during the fundraising drives for PBS, which happened, depending on the station, two, three, or four times a year, depending on the station. They all have the right to do it different ways. So it just kept airing during the fundraising time that they liked the show then they would call in and they would get their thank you gifts of a wine glass or my book etc as part of the show and it it did very well so uh, then PBS asked me to write a book because we want the book to be a part of the thank you gifts and so well I wasn't really in the mood to write a book but I thought okay So I wrote the book called Swallow This, kind of a fun, irreverent uh, title, because I wasn't into sipping wine or certainly not spitting out wine. It's all about swallowing wine. And uh, so uh, I was lucky that it hit number one on Amazon for a very short time, but it did get there, and it's done quite well. And the second edition just came out uh, last month. Well, so give us a taste, no pun intended. What, what is, what's in that book? What did what, you write about? Well, my the, the reason I made a big kind of splash is because I, I've introduced a different approach to wine. The traditional approach is that there are wine experts and the right way to, the right wines to drink, the right way to drink the wine, the right glass where to use and everything, all the rules that were developed by wine experts. And if you want to be in that club of wine experts, you need to learn how to describe wine, which glass to use, which wines to drink. No one would drink white Zinfandel or box <laughs> wine. You know, that's you and you know, be in the club if you did that. That's the traditional approach. I didn't like that. It made wine unfun. And when I drink wine, I want to have fun. 
So my progressive approach takes the focus away from the experts and puts it on the person. Whatever wine you like, that's good wine. And it's fine to drink white Zinfandel. It's fine to drink box wine. So my book is all about the practical tips of how to have fun with wine. What wine is best for wild sex? When to microwave <laughs> wine? When to freeze wine? You know, the proper serving temperature of wine. When to send a wine back at a restaurant, etc. So all kinds of tips of how to enjoy wine, whatever wine you drink. <laughs> you know, Mark, everything about you, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's pizzazz and everything about you. Of course you wrote a book about this. Um, where do we find it, by the way? Is it on your site? Is it on Amazon? Where is it? Amazon. Uh, yeah, Barnes & Noble is carrying it. Some independent bookstores throughout, but Barnes & Noble for the physical stores and certainly on Amazon, yeah. Okay. What about that TV show? Can people still find that the TV show? Or is there anything laying out there for that? It does. You know, actually, Netflix uh, has it, but they have it only on DVD. So I don't know if anyone ever gets a DVDs mailed to them from Netflix like they used to. Everything's pretty much streamed. Uh, my show isn't streamed, but Netflix does have the DVD called Enjoying Wine with Mark Phillips. Uh, you can buy the DVD uh, on uh, Amazon. Uh, it's got it's 100 minutes uh, with bonus footage that wasn't in the TV show. So it's a fun, uh, a fun DVD to watch, a lot of humor. So that's available out there, too. Okay, and say it for us one more time. The show is called Enjoying Wine with Mark Phillips. There we go. But we changed the name for marketing, so now it's being sold as Ice Cubes in Wine on Amazon. Okay, and let it be said, listeners, I incorrectly said that was the name of his book earlier. That is now, now I've realized that's the name of the DVD. So thank you for correcting me, Mark. Yeah. Um, Really, really fun stuff. Anything related to wine, you've got my attention. So... Um, the other thing that you said was that you developed your own wine glass. I know that you said you were tired of breaking all these nicely crafted wine glasses and you came up with one of your own, no surprise. What was different about yours and how did you go about creating it and did you make it yourself? Yeah, so I, to really enjoy wine, if you're having nicer wines, like for instance, one of my uh, New Year's resolutions was one year I thought would be to drink better wine. But I thought, you know, I don't need to drink better wine. Whatever I'm drinking is fine. And believe me, I drink inexpensive wine. My goal in life is to find the cheapest wine that I like. I and mean, that's what I really like to do. But the glass does make a difference. You know, when you have a really nice wine glass, it makes you feel more special. It kind of, like eating off fine china versus a paper plate. The food's still the same, but, but what it's on and the context sometimes makes it more special. And so I learned that the wine glass made a difference. And hand-blown crystal wine glasses are kind of the pinnacle of wine glasses because uh, with crystal, you can make a really thin lip. And that's kind of a cool thing to have. But if you buy hand-blown crystal, any one of your listeners who has crystal, they know they, it stays in the cabinet because it's so fragile. You pull it out and it breaks so easily. So... I thought there must be a better way to make crystal glasses without the breakage. So I did a little research, because I had free time to do that, and I realized instead of using lead crystal, I developed my own oxides, instead of lead oxide, my own oxides that were much stronger than lead. And so I found a a boutique uh, glass-making company, Old World Company in Slovakia, and contracted them to make the glass for me. And it's one size, and it works for white and red. It's off the market now. I sold through them and decided not to continue with it. But it, it was very successful, and QVC, the shopping channel, uh, shows it as the favorite glass in the world. And, that, and my glass was the first wine glass to be featured on QVC uh, as a result, although it didn't actually go on the air because they wanted me to have tens of thousands of glasses ready to fulfill the orders. And I didn't have that many. And I thought, oh, no, what if I get all those glasses made and then it bombs and I have a zillion glasses sitting around. So I opted uh, not to do that. But uh, it was, it was a, it's a great glass. I'm, I kind of feel bad not having it anymore because it, it is so wonderful. But 
yeah, that was a, a good chapter there. Mm. How long did that go on, by the way? How how long did you sell those glasses? Oh, I uh, you know I got tens of thousands sent over in a container, and I I probably those were around for probably four years or so, if that, something <laughs> like that. Mm. Yeah. You know, another thing I forgot to ask you about, Mark, that I am very curious about as somebody who who has enjoyed wine for years doesn't know very much about it. Um, but one of the things that you said was that your take on how you thought about wine or talked about wine or educated about it wine was different than what was in circulation at the time and that you really didn't really quite agree with the way wine was being discussed or educated. Help us understand the disconnect. Well, and again, um, it's not something that I really well, came up with per se, not initially. So I, I was putting on classes in Washington, D.C., and I was hiring wine experts because at the early stages, I knew nothing about wine. And these wine experts were snobby. And they kind of talked down to the people. Like, if you mm-hmm. drink these wrong wines, you know, you are unsophisticated and stuff like that. So students, as they're walking out of the class, would say to me, hey, we don't like this guy. He's too snobby. And then I realized that that's right, he is snobby. I mean, I didn't really recognize that. And so that is what was the impetus for me to rethink wine, because I know I enjoyed wine, and I was a snob, too. I be, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid or the wine about trying to be a wine expert and, you know, highfalutin. And that those comments from the students really kind of gave me a slap in the face. And I thought, you know what? Talking about wine this way is a disconnect with the public, and it intimidates them. It's not fun. That's not the way to go. So I had to rethink, almost start over with my wine knowledge. I I disregarded everything I learned about wine in a way and just thought, what's the proper way to teach wine and, and talk about wine? So I forced myself to drink white Zinfandel, you know, that was like the curses, no, never. And I tried doing all different kinds of things and, you know, putting ice cubes in wine. And is that a good thing to do sometimes? And all breaking all the rules and see which ones would fly and which ones wouldn't or made sense. And that's how I came up with the progressive approach. Uh, starting over, looking at wine from a fresh perspective, not from all what the books say and all the wine experts, and that became the progressive approach. Okay, cool, thanks. I know we already kind of addressed that, that part of it, but I, for selfish reasons, really wanted to understand that because I don't think I know very much about wine, and I'm okay with that because I like the way it tastes. Right. But and, and good for you that you're okay with it. That's the first step. That you, you don't worry what any expert tells you. Just forget about it. How much do you have to really know about wine anyway, really? Do you like it or not? Taste it. Do you like it or not? No expert can walk in a store or look at a wine list at a restaurant and know they like it. No matter how much knowledge they know about wine, that doesn't help them choose a wine they like off the shelf or in a restaurant. They have very little advantage on you. They have some, but not much to worry about. So the... Real way to go in wine is you got to taste it first. Go to tastings, especially free in-store tastings if stores in your area have that. But taste the wine. If you like it, that's good wine, and be proud of that, no matter what it is. That's what I'm going to keep doing, Mark. That's my. That's the way I go about it. Good for um, you. Yeah. Now, so I say that the, the listeners still should buy my book because... Uh, what I tell you how to enjoy the wine you like better, to know what the right temperature is, you know, because that makes a difference. I'm not saying what temperature you should drink it at. That's up to you. Again, it's all about you. But I'll tell you what is the consequence of drinking a wine at this temperature versus another temperature, how it will change the wine. So, you know, I give you good wine and food matching principles so that you know, because food can really complement wine. Um, I tell you how to fix a bad wine, because heaven forbid you get a bad wine, you buy a wine, you bring it home, you don't like it. What do you do? A lot of people will cook with it. Yeah. Bad move, by the way. Not a good thing to do. I'm against that. I explain the book why. And you don't want to throw it away. So I have a chapter on how to fix wine, how to make it right. Uh, when I go to a, a, a restaurant even and get served
serve the glass, the wine is not quite right. I, I fix it. So because if food comes out and it's not quite right, you add salt or pepper, you do something to it to make it right. Uh, hamburger with no ketchup, please. Whatever. It's all about what you want. And so when I get a wine that's not quite right for me, I fix it, and I tell you how to do that in the book. I had no idea you could fix wine, Mark. That's amazing. No idea. It's, it's the best. And I'm, and I'm adding stuff to wine all the time when I'm going out if the wine's not quite right. Because I want a wine that I like, that I just paid for. Just like you want food that you like that you just paid for. Yeah. Well, it's a small investment to fix the various bottles of wine I purchased over the years that weren't right. So for that alone, Mark, I'll buy your book, okay? Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks. There's You're welcome. One. There's one taker. Right, right. It's me. Um, and we're up Good. for a short break again, Mark, already. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm Elise Cortez, your mm-hmm. host. We've been on the air with Mark Phillips, who is a lifetime serial entrepreneur who today is running winetasting.org, among many other ventures. Um, he is the author of Swallow This and has created and sold his own wine glass over the years and has enjoyed hosting a long-running TV show about wine, various ventures, lots of fun. After the break, we're going to hear about one of his more recent ventures called Palcohol. Stay with us. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Mark Phillips, who I like to call a lifetime serial entrepreneur who today is running winetasting.org, among many other things. Um, among his wine offerings, he also developed a palcohol offering, which is powdered alcohol. I have never heard of this before. Can't wait to hear about this further. He's also writing a book called You Deserve to be Divorced. Um, and has many other ventures in the works as well. I don't know when the man sleeps, but he joins us today from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Okay, so Mark, I got to know, I've never heard of Palcohol. How did this come about? I know you've got a, a, a very particular approach to how you developed it and got some novel things going on with it. What's going on with it? Yeah, so people may have heard of it. I was on Dr. Oz and the doctors, and the press has covered it uh, a lot, but yet, I'm sure a lot of people have not heard of it. It's new, so I created Palcohol, so it's alcohol with a P in front of it for powdered. Uh, Palcohol.com is the website, and it's powdered alcohol. So I was given a wine talk at a, a festival in Scottsdale, and I was watching a booth a few doors down. I was at a table selling my books and glass and all that stuff, and a booth a few doors down, People were walking through the tent and just throwing money at the guy. They could not give that guy money fast enough. And at the end of the day, I went over there, met him. His name was Andy, who was running the booth. I said, what's going on here that everyone wants to buy from you? And he was selling a, a wine slushy mix. It's powder, mostly sugar, and some flavoring that you put in a Ziploc bag. You add water and wine to it in the Ziploc bag, zip it shut, mix it up, put in the freezer, and three hours later, you have a wine slushy. He had one flavor, something like a red sangria. It wasn't very good. But it was 90 degrees outside or 100 degrees, and he was had a, he had samples there that were sweet and uh, cold, and uh, people were going crazy for it. So 
he didn't like uh, the company was working for the powder. I said, let's do our own powder slushy wine mix. And he, of course, bagged on me, as many people would. So I created my own wine slushy mix. But if you use the wrong <laughs> type of wine, uh, it ruins the taste. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if the powder could have the alcohol already in it? And so I Googled powdered alcohol. It didn't exist. It wasn't sold anywhere in the world. I thought I could do it. And so I went on a care to try to create powdered alcohol. And uh, about a year or so later, uh, I was able to figure out how to do it with the help of chemists from around the world and um, got it approved through the federal government the first time ever. And although it's not on the market yet because of some regulatory hurdles right now, but uh, hopefully will be soon. And uh, it's powdered vodka, powdered rum that you would add like Coke to, rum and Coke, add orange juice, vodka and orange, something like screwdriver. And I also have cocktail versions, uh, uh, cosmopolitan, lemon drop, uh, margarita, and mojito uh, that already had the flavor in it. So it's just powdered in a little package. You add water to it, you have an instant cocktail wherever you are. Okay, so let's talk about some applications. So I want to, I'm just trying to imagine myself with my little powdered packet of alcohol here. And <laughs> am I going into a concert? Where, where am I going with this thing, Mark? Well, certainly a concert, a sporting event, a cruise ship, uh, traveling. However, I do want to be clear that I don't condone breaking the law. And if it's illegal to bring alcohol in, I can't condone, I'm not going to condone that. Right, right, of course. Uh, but, you know, so... The uh, obviously people might use it that way, but I can't condone that. Uh, there are many applications, even uh, things that I didn't even think about. I thought about it for hiking, something of doing something outdoors where weight is a factor, bicycling, backpacking, something like that. That I could have a cocktail uh, while I'm out and about. But once I created it and the public found out about it, so many people have contacted me about. Uh, things that they want it for. The airlines want to serve it on their planes because they're always concerned about weight. Mm. Uh, saving a pound or two saves them thousands of dollars a year or millions of dollars a year in fuel costs. And if they can serve powdered alcohol on the plane uh, instead of or kind of half and half, whatever, of liquid alcohol, they would save a lot of weight on the plane and save millions of dollars. So they're very interested. The medical community wants to use it. Uh, when they go into disaster relief zones that are remote, they have to lug stuff in, and they can use powdered alcohol as antiseptic. And it, it's mm. lighter to carry than liquid antiseptic. So they're interested in that. The military wants to use it. All, uh, bakeries and ice cream uh, maker wants to use it in Michigan to make adult ice cream, you know, alcoholic ice cream. So there's all kinds of applications for it, Not that, none that I would have thought of. But uh, there are a zillion things that can be used for. Mark, that's amazing. That is ma- amazing to me. So uh, how are you going to develop this in your spare time? I mean, really? Well, that's the, the trick right now. Uh, you know, it's got off to a rocky start. I am not a good PR person. That's not my strong suit. And something went wrong in the beginning. And so it kind of got off with a negative, you know, everyone's scared about it. People are going to snort it, which you can snort. Well, it sounds like he clearly got some demand. Wow. I mean, some of these, some of these applications yeah. are, are amazing, dynamic. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to have to stay tuned on this then, Mark. So they can go to palcohol.com, right? Yeah. Alcohol.com. Okay. okay. Just, I'm sure that there's going to be... be notified when it comes available and stuff like that. And they can read all about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, another thing that I know that you told me that you're working on here, I don't have any idea what this is, and I'm, I'm not sure if I should ask you, but Cool Bottom, what's that about? It's yeah, My Cool Bottom. Uh, my Cool Bottom is a website. It's not up yet, but it's brand new. It is, so I ride a motorcycle, and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's 100 degrees for months at a time. And so when I get on that thing, my butt, if I'm riding more than 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I get off my shorts are soaked, you know, from sweat. And so I thought, you know, there must be a way that you can put something on the seat that keeps your 
bottom, your butt cools. You don't have wet shorts when you get off. So uh, I, over the last few months, I developed a, a new seat that's nothing like it on the market that is kind of a, refri- a portable kind of refrigerated seat that can be used on any motorcycle, padded, keep your bottom cool for hours at a time, that can be used on a motorcycle, maybe on a golf cart, if the, it's hot weather, not getting you know your wet butt from sitting on that vinyl or seat on a golf cart, on a stadium seat, even in your car, wherever you're, you want to keep a cool bottom. Um, so that will be coming out here probably in the next uh, month or so. But I'm, I'm very excited about that because... It solves my problem, you know, so it's a selfish thing. I can actually, because I'm using it right now on my motorcycle, and I can go anywhere, and my butt is cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, Mark. I tell you, you've got to be one of the most entertaining guests I've had on the show for for a while. Thank you for that. Uh, I I totally got the picture in my mind. Pardon me? I said I totally got the picture of of this this my cool bottom seat in my mind and you cruising down the road with it. I, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, it's, it's really it's wonderful. It's to sit on something that's so cool and it's so hot outside, knowing that you can get off without having to you know put your bottom against the wall, but you're back to the wall so no one sees the wet spot in your pants. You know, I mean, <laughs> so it's uh, it's a handy thing. Yeah, I don't ride a motorcycle, so I had no idea of this issue. So right, and so I've learned a lot something. Of people don't and. Probably they're safer off their life if they don't, but that's why if they're a golfer at a NASCAR race or you know, car race, uh, outdoor concert, any music festival, wherever you would go where it's hot outside. Uh, and actually, my seat, I have to tweak it a little bit more, can also be heated. Oh, and wow. So even the cold weather, if you're in a, a football stadium, uh, somewhere it can be heated and it will stay warm for a long time. So while I have, I meant to change my website because I didn't know I could even do it. I kind of surprised myself. You know, every so often that happens that I actually could develop something that could be used to be chilled and heated and last a long time for those camping trips, uh, you know, outdoors, football games and stuff like that. You can have a warm bottom. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, you know, I, I'm a little bit exhausted listening to you, but we only have like about three minutes left on the show, and I want you to talk about your wine directory and your book that's coming out. You deserve to be divorced. So what's well, the story with the wine directory? The wine, yeah, you know, because I'm a wine guy, you know, I'm a wine lover, and wine is so expensive in restaurants. I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a directory of places that have great wine happy hours? That if mm. you're whatever city you're in or traveling, like I, when I came to Dallas, where do I go for a glass of wine that's affordable? Good wine, not house wine like jug wine, stuff like that. Good wine that's discounted at happy hour. I want to know that. Or places that have half-price bottle nights and stuff like that. Any way to save money on wine. I think people want to know that. So I'm based out of Scottsdale, but I have a on winetasting.org, my website. I have a wine directory that's just a a fun venture. It's not a money-making thing, but it's just I'm adding places. So I'll have in the next week or so probably 50 different places in Phoenix, greater Phoenix area, that have great wine happy hours, surprisingly many to me, because I lived in L.A., Chicago, D.C., and I don't think in any of those cities. Uh, they had that many places that had great deals on wine. So I'm pleasantly surprised that Phoenix has that many places. So uh, I don't have really any outside of Phoenix, but any of your listeners who want to go on and add places uh, in their own city uh, that they want to, uh, you know, so people traveling there can help out, uh, it's kind of like a grassroots effort to build a national wine directory that benefits all wine drinkers. It's all Got free. It. Got it. Wow, I love it. And and what another, it sounds like Wikipedia to me kind of, but um, really quick, yeah. Mark, we've got like maybe a minute here. I do want to hear, selfishly, you deserve to be divorced. What's, what's this, where's this book coming from and what are you trying to do with it? Yeah, you know, so so many people, 
in my opinion, do not do their due diligence when they're dating. They get involved with people they shouldn't have. You know, you break up with someone, all your friends and family go, you know, we saw that. At least we saw that that wasn't the right guy for you, but we didn't want to say anything. You, you hear that a thousand times. So my book is a new system, kind of a checklist, if you will, a strategy of doing one's due diligence. Whenever we get anything in life, a house, we have a home inspector look at it for us. When you get a roommate, you get a background check, maybe a credit check. When you get a new employee, you get a you know background check references. On any important decision, you always get some kind of reference. And I'm not thinking about doing background checks on a potential mate. Although that Mark, we're running out of time. Sorry. Sorry uh, about that. We're, we're, about but, but I got the idea. Before you get involved, yeah. Okay. I love it. Thank you. I'll buy it when, when it comes out. So thank you, Mark, for, for joining me on the show today. I'm so glad that I met you a couple of weeks ago by happenstance that you came over to me and offered your Prosecco and, and started a conversation. It's been amazing to get to know you. Thanks for being on the show and sharing all of your, not all, but some of your amazing ventures. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I feel inspired and, and tired at the same time. <laughs> um, if you want to learn more about Mark Phillips, go to his website, winetasting.org. There's lots to learn there. And you mentioned, he already mentioned that you can chime in on his wine directory there. Great place to be, to be able to contribute your, your thoughts, your ideas. Um, we will see you next week. And remember that work is one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.